0: Hello, podcast listeners. We know podcasts are a great way to catch up on a program that you may have missed on KSJE, and it's provided as a free service of this radio station. But you know, KSJE is now listener-supported, and so while you enjoy this podcast, we hope that you'll also take some time to join KSJE. Become a member today. It's quite easy to do. Just go to our website at ksje.com support and pick the level of support that best matches your budget. Thanks again for listening here's your podcast.
1: Welcome back to Write on Four Corners. I'm your host, Del Delsheree Gladden. I am an author of over 30 published novels and a ninth grade English teacher. And on this week's episode, I have a Colorado writer, Kevin T. Jones, and he is going to be talking about his book, A Quick Trip to Moab, Insurrection in the Wilderness.
0: Kevin, go ahead and
1: introduce yourself.
0: Oh, hi. Thanks, Delcheree. Yeah, I'm Kevin Jones. I'm an archaeologist and a writer, and I live in southwest Colorado. A Quick Trip to Moab is my most recent novel. It came out just about two years ago in February 2022. Uh, and it was, I'm very proud, it was a uh, finalist for a Colorado Book Award for 2023 in general fiction, and it's been an interesting time having this book out, and I've, I'm really enjoying it. So thanks for having me on your show.
1: Well, thanks for letting me have a chance to read the book and chat with you about it. I was able to read it over the holidays and really enjoyed it. It was really fun, and it brings up a lot of interesting topics that I think are very relevant to today's world, and we'll dive into that. But first, give our listeners just kind of a brief sense of what the book is about.
0: Well, the book, uh, the general storyline of the book is there's a fellow, an average citizen, driving from Salt Lake City to Moab. He's going down there to pick up a piece of artwork that he's purchased and is having framed for his wife's birthday. And he finds out Some people have started a protest in the San Rafael Swell, which is about halfway between Salt Lake City and Moab, and it's kind of gotten a little out of control. So his buddy tells him, you ought to bring a gun when you come down. He goes, he's like, no, what? He goes, yeah, just in case. Anyway, he heads down towards Moab, and sure enough, some fellows who were attracted to the insurrection have turned out to not be that good of guys, and uh, things have gone bad, and they've started attacking some people. And our, our, our hero, Stan, just happens to get caught up in it. He stops along the way to let his dog use the uh, bushes, and he gets dragged into it. And he ends up helping a couple and uh, being chased through the wilds by, by some of these guys. So it's, it gets, gets very exciting very quickly. It takes place mostly in the San Rafael Swell of Utah, which is a really wonderful and rugged area.
1: Wonderful. Well, thank you for giving us that overview of the story. Now, uh, our listeners will know what we're talking about once we dive in. <laughs> so, obviously, with your background in archaeology, I can see that being an inspiration for the setting and some of the the aspects of the story. Um, so, tell us a little bit about your career and how that played into your inspiration for setting the story here and working some of those archaeological elements into the story.
0: Sure. I uh, I grew up, I actually grew up in National Parks. My dad was a National Park Ranger, and I uh, lived in western Colorado when I returned, went through high school. at Rangely, if any of you know who is, um, kind of a sister community to Armington, very, very much an oil and gas area of western Colorado. Then I went to college at uh, Colorado State University, and then worked as an archaeologist for a few years and decided I wanted to go to graduate school so I went to graduate school at the University of Utah and got my PhD there and I ended up spending uh, my career as a state archaeologist of Utah and left that about 10 years ago and concentrated on writing. I published a, uh, an anthropological novel when I first started publishing, it's based on hunter-gatherers I lived with in South America when I was doing my dissertation research, people who had just come into peaceful contact with the Europeans in Paraguay in the area, and their stories were so compelling I wrote them into a novel, which I'm very proud of, called The Shrinking Jungle. And then at, I published a book of essays along with some photographs by Lane Miller of ancient rock art around Utah and um, called uh, Standing on the Walls of Time which is a beautiful book, and, and and as I said, I wrote the essays. And then I decided to write this book, A Quick Trip to Moab, and I wanted to do a couple of things here. I wanted to write something that was a kind of a compelling read, that like something that the reader might pick up and, and feel like keeping going, you know, not get bored with it. I wanted to have some strong characters. I wanted to have an accurate depiction of the land because I've worked in that area, and I love it. Uh, and it is rich with archaeological resources and that's clearly a part of the setting for the uh, book itself. Um, and I wanted to have a balanced view of the wilderness issues because, you know, it's not always clear-cut uh, what's the best use of some of these lands and, you know, lots of people will land on one side or the other just without any, any discussion and I think there's a little bit more nuanced way we can look at some of those issues both pro and, and anti-wilderness. So, I tried to pack all those things into the book, and I'm pretty happy with the way it turned out.
1: Yeah, I think you did a nice job of bringing together all of those different elements. It was interesting, because I've driven through Moab many times, going up to Sea Family in Salt Lake, or, you know, just traveling in general. I've never really spent a lot of time in the area. Um, it's kind of one of those places where I was like, oh, I should spend more time there. There seems to be lots of really great, interesting things. <laughs> But mostly um, I was aware of it for the outdoor recreation side of it. Um, I have friends who go up there with their um, OHVs and um, I was aware there was biking trails and things like that. That's kind of what I knew the area for mainly. And so it was really interesting to read about the the different archaeological factors that are there because I, I really wasn't aware that it was so rich in Um, the rock art and the different ruins that remain, um, which I guess that should have occurred to me because (laughs) this this whole Four Corners area has a lot of really wonderful history in that in that realm. But yeah, that just was something that I wasn't really aware of. And so that was really neat to learn more about and see where those conflicts could definitely originate from with the people in that area who are involved in the recreation business versus people who are using the land for other purposes, for oil or for preserving those areas. There's definitely a lot of viewpoints that come into play, a lot of economic factors as well. And in the midst of this high action adventure, you're bringing in a lot of those and making some good points that can bring up some discussion, which I I really enjoyed because some of those areas... Like I said, I just, I wasn't very knowledgeable about. So it was really nice to, to learn more, but to see multiple viewpoints presented in the story as well.
0: Well, I'm glad, I'm glad I had that, that reaction because, yeah, you know, the a couple of the characters actually the time to discuss some of those issues as they're stuck out in the wilderness and they, and they have some conversations about the, the pluses and the minuses of, of, of different views on on wilderness preservation, and it, and I think it's worth having that conversation. I could have easily written it to be totally pro-wilderness or totally anti-wilderness, but I chose to write it in a way that uh, gave balance to that conversation.
1: I did, and I, I think that's such an important way to present some of this information, because people, like you said, can easily just fall on one side or the other, and that's their viewpoint, and they're going to stick to it. And I, I think we see a lot of that in today's world, on many topics of either, you know, that's the perspective they've grown up with, or they work in one field or industry or the other. And people today, it seems like a a lot, not everybody tend to kind of shut down once they get that ideology or perspective fixed in their mind. And it can be really difficult to have those conversations, especially to keep them civil and productive.
0: Oh, I agree. I agree. And one of the things that I did was, and it's really spurred on by a couple of things that have happened in the last few years in this area. There, First of all, there was the Bundy situation down in, in Nevada, where the Bundy family protested the BLM, trying to kick them their cows off of BLM land because they hadn't paid their grazing fees, and they were having a protest. And what happened was, in addition to the protest, all kinds of people showed up. Carrying their guns and, and and ready to fight the federal government, they they did you know they couldn't have cared less I think about grazing rights, but they were ready to ready to battle, and it kind of got the thing out of control. They had, there were pictures in the in the news of these guys with high-powered rifles aiming them at federal, aid. and it was just like that's crazy you know that's not a that's not a grazing rights protest. that's that's something a little bit different. And a similar thing happened over Blanding, southeastern uh, Utah. Was a pretty well-known local uh, politician, Phil Lyman, who started a, uh, a protest ride on his ATV to protest the closing of a little an old road uh, that was BLM determined was damaging archaeological sites. And he started a protest ride. And sure enough, a whole bunch of people showed up, including some Bundys, who had never ridden in that area, never known, didn't know any of the issues at all, but they were ready to cause some trouble. And they, they carried guns and they rode. And The original plan was just to ride to the edge of the the closed area in protest. And all these guys that showed up went on beyond it and carried it on in a little bit more of a ridiculous fashion. So that's what happened in this situation in my book, that these people have a legitimate protest and they go out to protest the closure of these roads. But a whole bunch of other people show up who want to take it to another level. And I think that happens. That happens a whole lot. That happens on on any any kind of a protest, all of a sudden some people show up who want to throw bricks, who want to carry guns, who want to start a fire. You know, they're they're not interested in the issue so much as they want to cause some excitement. So that's kind of where the uh, protest gone bad happens in my book.
1: And I thought that was an interesting aspect because you do present the original instigators of the protest. They're there to make a point. And their intention seems to be to have, to make a statement without any violence or, you know, things getting too crazy. Like, there are people in the town who other characters know and respect, not someone who they're like, oh, yeah, that, you know, that crazy guy's up to it again. <laughs> like, it's a, it's a normal group of people who come out together to express their their opinions on this matter. And then it really kind of snowballs in a way that the original group of people are not expecting. And we have this other interesting layer where people on the outside are kind of getting frustrated with the local law enforcement, that they're not doing enough, they're not stopping things, they're not breaking this up. And you do a a nice job of showing that because The sheriff knows the people who originated the protest and is like, oh, you know, they're decent people. Like, they're not here to do crazy things. But he doesn't account for the fact that all these other people have come in who are intent on causing problems and doing violence and kind of taking things to this other level that wasn't originally intended. And I thought that was a really interesting aspect because you show those two types who, you know, we have maybe a group of people who want to make a statement or make their opinion known. And then sometimes other groups can kind of piggyback on that. And then it just, it grows into something else very unexpectedly. And the two you mentioned, and I feel like all, quite a few times over the last couple of years, we've seen that happen. And this seems like kind of a new phenomenon. In the recent, I know, it's not really <laughs> but like we I, I really we haven't seen that until recently like there's kind of this resurgence of these incidences really getting out of proportion to what was originally intended and it's it's an interesting thing that's that's happening over the last few years and I thought that was a nice thing about the way you presented that it kind of gives this view of Maybe how that happens.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And, 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 you know, I mean, as you said, the way in the book, the original protesters were local ranchers who really loved the land. And they, you know, they remembered, you know, using that land for their cattle and, and their sheep and uh, living out there when they were kids and riding horses and, and having camps out there in their, their, their cow camps. And they really They really thought uh, losing that access was a big loss to their livelihoods and their communities. And they were legitimately having a legitimate peaceful protest when all of a sudden some other people came along and kind of got carried away in the story. There were some accidents that occurred that helped create greater animosity. So once all those things kind of started happening, our main characters, uh, Stan and Lily are caught up in it in a, uh, in, a, in a very, very frightening way.
1: Absolutely. The average kind of normal people going about their business and get dragged into this thing that is much bigger than them very unexpectedly and then have to try to figure out their way through it, <laughs> which is an overwhelming thought to be stuck in something like that in, in real life. Tell me about your main characters and how you developed them. Before the story starts, stand in the lead, do not know each other, and come into contact um, in quite a dramatic fashion, and then have to rely on each other throughout this story. So I was curious what your process was, how you went about choosing your characters, and then developing them as you went through the process of writing the story.
0: Sure, I uh, I have to tell you that the. I started writing this story basically as a short story because I have a little group of of writers that I, I write with and I tried to write something compelling story and it just kept getting long. And the characters developed. I didn't really have a blueprint for any of the characters. I didn't have a plan. They just sort of, you know, it's interesting when I'm writing fiction that they kind of develop on their own. You write a scene and you're writing a scene of some conversation and all of a sudden they're saying things that I hadn't planned out, but are you know, you're just you're trying to think from the perspective of another person. But yes, those those characters are, and frankly, the character is probably close to uh, you know someone I know because he he's a geomorphologist and has worked in the area, so he knows the he knows the terrain and he knows the he knows the archaeology. Whereas Lily is a, a truck driver from uh, Kentucky, and they wind up together. And between their skills, Anne knows the region, and knows knows the geography, knows where you can find water and stuff like that. And Lily actually knows how to hunt, and uh, take care of herself. And he is a real tough, tough girl. She's a she's a runner. She's a, um, and her husband is killed early on in, in the story. And she doesn't she doesn't wilt and cry about it. She, she gets up on her feet and and, and uh, wants to make a go of it, and ends up uh, you know, being being the strong the, the strongest character. She's the hero of the of the story, along with Speck, Stan's dog. So Lily, the truck driver, and Speck, the dog, are the two heroes who save the day for everyone.
1: And I, I was going to bring up Speck. Um, I, I think it's funny, when you're talking about like readers and viewers and media, you can push pretty far in stories, but when you have an animal, the first question... <laughs> Is is the animal okay at the end? And I was telling my boyfriend Chris about reading this book, and and that was his question. He's like, "Does the dog die?" <laughs> so I had to reassure him, because <laughs> Speck was a wonderful character, and I enjoyed the the different aspects that he brought to the story as well.
0: Yeah, she gets she, right in the middle. Yeah, She does get. I think she gets shot in the ear a little bit, but yeah, that's that's one of my favorite parts of it. The the dog. Just seems to be at the right place, the right time. Do anything, you know, heroic like Lassie, like um, kind of tell them what's going on. But she does run out and distract the bad guys a time or two, and, and 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 is always there. So yeah, that's a that's a fun part of it. I'm a I'm a big lover of dogs, and uh, I boy the last thing I'd want to do is have Spec <laughs> get, get, get get the story. So yeah, you know, there's a lot of confusion among everyone here because stan and lily they're out in the wilderness they don't know what's going on they don't know the politics of what's going on at all even the leaders of the protests are not really sure of what's going on because these other guys have broken away from the main protest and they they don't know what's going on so i introduced a, a character of one of the reporters liz nunez a, a tv reporter who basically figures everything out and is, and is you know filing these news reports And that's how the reader kind of gets an idea of what's going on it 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 helps you understand the circumstances that surround that's going on and surrounding all these people whereas the people in the in the story not all of them understand it completely including you know one of the guys who's one of the protesters shumway who is kind of one of their enforcers who's gone out to try and catch lily and stan and he does but it turns out he's a real good guy and he's been He's been carried along by these kind of bad guys, and he kind of finally figures it out and goes and um, uh, goes and, and reports them to the to the uh, authorities. So, you know, he, he turns out to be he's a scary guy that uh, comes in and 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 captures Stan and Lily, but he turns out to be a guy who saves the day. So, I've, I've tried to make it so those those characters are complex and and believable. And I've done that.
1: I think so. Yeah, I think it it was an interesting development with a lot of the characters where they, they kind of start out in really an idealized or a little bit naive perspective of things in a lot of ways, um, from the, some of the protesters to um, Stan. At the beginning, he's kind of like, you know, his friends telling him about what's going on. And he's just like, oh, you know, it's it, it can't be that bad. Like, you know, he he doesn't take it as seriously. Because I think like a lot of us, you're kind of like, well, you know, people are generally reasonable. It's not going to get that crazy. And I think some of the protesters were the same way of like, no, we're we're out here to make a point. We're going to stand our ground, not realizing how other factors coming in could really change this into something else. And you see those changing viewpoints over the course of the story and how as their worlds widen, and they see more of what's going on, you're really kind of forced to confront some of those aspects and, and make some choices and decisions. And I, I liked that, you know, the, the quote, unquote, bad guys <laughs> weren't static. They underwent development as well, even though, you know, we don't get to know them as much. They're not on the page to the same extent that Stan and Lily and Speck are. But we still get that development, which I think is really important in the antagonistic characters to have more to them than just they're you know, the villain or the problem or the source of conflict in the story. And only our, our heroes need to develop and change and grow over time. I think that really adds more interest and complexity to the story. So I enjoyed seeing that.
0: Yeah, good. It does make it more realistic because, truthfully, we're all complex characters and we, we all have more going on than just kind of a one-sided picture of, of who we are.
1: Exactly. Well, and you brought up as well that you have um, the reporter character filing stories. And I thought that was an interesting structural element that every so often we take a break from the main characters and we get either a news article... Um, in the paper or TV, and it gives the reader a glimpse of what's going on in the wider world. And then we get to contrast that with our main characters and what they don't know. And I really liked that structure, because I think it made a good point of showing that, you know, when you're in the middle of something, and that's all you're focused on, And you're kind of insulated in, you know, like they are, they're, they are out of contact with the outside world. They have no way of knowing for sure what's going on. But I think people in general get that way. They isolate themselves either physically, or through only looking at one information source, or only talking to people who agree with them that we miss so much. Of what else is going on in the world and other ideas and perspectives. And so I thought that was a really nice element for the story. But in a broader context, I, I thought that made a great point of how people can do that to themselves unintentionally and really miss some important aspects of a big problem, like who's in charge of determining what to do with the land. Because um, there's, like you said, um, there's a lot of different ideas and debates on that.
0: Oh, I agree. I agree with you completely. You know, you, you put, your, put your finger on something that is very key to the way people operate. And in this situation, our characters are cut off from communication because they, you know, are out in the woods. But people often uh, do only pay attention to one sources of information. And if those sources of information are limited, they're only getting a, a portion of the picture they made out to have the best perspective on things.
1: Yeah, and in like your story shows, I think when we do that to ourselves, that's when things can get out of hand in this maybe not in quite a, as dramatic of a fashion <laughs> as we see in the story in in the book, but I think just in general, you know, the more open we are, the more we're willing to look into things and view multiple sources talk to a variety of people, we're less likely to react in a way that might be harmful or um, make quick decisions that can you know, kind of tumble out of control. And I think that's just a good way presenting it in in story fashion to get people to, you know, maybe take a step back and think, you know, am I doing this in some way in my life? And maybe how can I adjust how I'm looking at something or how I'm interacting with people or the world to, you know, make sure that we're getting a better view of a situation before diving into a course of action or a reaction that can maybe go not quite the way it was originally intended and and cause harm in some way.
0: Well, I agree. And and that's one of the things I'm I'm most uh, happy with with this book is that uh, I wanted to write something that was entertaining. You know, that's that's ultimately to write, write a book that uh, people find to be interesting, entertaining and that and, uh, uh, takes them away from their troubles for a little while. But I also wanted to um, educate people at times telling them about this wonderful place, the center swell of, of Utah, and maybe offer them some opportunities to think about some things in a different way. So without making it too pushy or anything like that, you just slide those things in into, a, into a, um, an entertaining story. And I hope I've been able to do that. It's a, I, I've been very clear the reaction to the book, and um, I'm delighted to talk to you about it. I, I think you've put your finger on a number of the really important points.
1: Yeah, I, I think you did a great job. Um, I really it, it was a fun read, and it was also an interesting and engaging read, which is all the things I hope for in a book. So that was good.
0: <laughs> great
1: we are already almost out of time. Um, so before we wrap up, I wanted to ask, what are you working on now?
0: Well, I have another novel that I have completed and I am uh, currently kind of chatting about trying to decide if I want to f- try to find an agent or to, uh, try to find a- another publisher for the book. And it's, um, it's an interesting, it's a uh, journey you go on when you to, you to know, try to do that. But, uh, I'm I'm happy with this this new book. It's very different from quick Moab. Um, it's called Barbara's Desert Cafe, and it's set in a mountain valley in Utah, uh, and and takes place in the, in several time periods from pioneer days on to modern day. Um, but it's about a, a, a little town that's kind of out of the way and, and uh, lost from uh, the rest of the rest of the state for a long time, and it develops quirky characters and some uh, unusual circumstances, includes, including involving ancient rock art in the Native American community. So we'll see. I've, uh, I'm have i very happy with it, and, and uh, maybe I'll be talking to you again sometime about another book.
1: Yeah, definitely. Keep uh, keep in contact. It sounds really interesting, and that'd be fun to have you back and chat about that one. would love to. Well, and before we go, um, I just wanted to remind our Listeners, that the book is called "A Quick Trip to Moab: Insurrection in the Wilderness" by Kevin T. Jones. And Kevin, where can people find you online to stay in contact and stay up to date on your future projects?
0: Well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on Facebook. You can find me Kevin T. Jones on Kevin T. Jones Writer on Facebook, uh, or just my personal Facebook page. A uh, Quick Trip to Moab is available on uh, Amazon. Uh, it's available at Amy's. It's available at Maria's in Durango, or um, uh, Back and Beyond Bookstore in Moab. So it's it's available in the area, and um, I hope uh, if anybody feels like it, they can get a hold of it, or they can give me a give drop me a line on the um, on Facebook. Well,
1: thank you so much, Kevin, for taking the time to chat with me today and for sharing your book with me. I really appreciate it, and I hope people take a minute to go check it out and. Um, have an interesting, engaging adventure with your characters.
0: Uh, thank you, Dostry, for doing this uh, right on Four Corners program. I really, really appreciate it. Drawing into writers and, and uh, to uh, the literary goings on of the region. So thank you. Did you enjoy that podcast? We hope that you did. And if you did, share it with your friends. And if you really want to keep podcasts like this coming, please support KSJE. You can do it easily online at ksje.com.